this episode, we'll go back to January of 1984 and interview David Lee Roth and talk about the iconic album 1984. No, we no. struck out again. Well, we will discuss events, movies, and music from January of 1984. Hey, Tim. What's happening in January of 1984? Well, January of 1984 was a pretty exciting month. Was One it now? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. January is an exciting month, no matter what, in my opinion. Uh, but in <laughs> January of 84, it was exciting to me because that was when the album by Van Halen, 1984, was released. Heck yeah. That album for me was so quintessential we listened to it <laughs> so much um my mom had a toyota celica and that cassette was in that cassette player <laughs> nonstop. and my brother and i forced my mom and our sister <laughs> to listen to it constantly um but the album itself it was their sixth uh studio album um they had a bunch of albums before that um, and this one was different because it was an album that they spent a lot more time producing. Uh, I think their first couple albums they put together in like two weeks. Um, one of them, I think actually their first LP was like five days. Wow. <laughs> so they were making music fast, but 84, they put a lot more time into. I think you can tell too, when you listen to the album, it's a, it's a complete, I like to call them like studio albums. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, that was when Eddie discovered uh, the keyboards. Mm. Uh, and I think there was some pushback. You know, they didn't really like the idea of this amazing guitar player um, setting the guitar down and using a keyboard. But there's so many great elements of, you know, even the intro, the way that the album begins yeah. with the yeah. keyboards. It's 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 so awesome. I still love it. <laughs> I think keyboards were also thought of as a little bit uh, wimpy for a rock band to include too i know there was a a lot of things like ozzy osbourne um you know he has a keyboardist later on and it, it was i remember reading an article when i was a kid like well i have keyboards and it's fine you can experiment and do different things with it but it was, certainly wasn't like led zeppelin didn't really use that uh that aspect so yeah. it's different different turn for the for rock and roll definitely and even when i think of some of the bands that had that their keyboard player was prominent you know it's like duran duran and you know more sort of pop pop style yeah. music which you know i for what it's worth i enjoyed listening to duran duran back in the day <laughs> but you know to integrate that into van halen that was sort of a pretty drastic shift in in the style mm-hmm. um and to your point you know i think uh you know even at the um sort of the, the level the execs who are making decisions about what could be on an album i think there was a lot of that pushback and you know eddie really you know held his his ground and really wanted to do it and you know, obviously that album is <laughs> one of has done pretty well. So I think he, you know, he made the right decision in, in, in uh, not uh, letting the execs, you know, take that away and, and just force it to be a, you know, more of a traditional, you know, guitar heavy, you know, without the keyboard. So. Yeah. And if you're unfamiliar with this album uh, as a whole, uh, let's just give you some of the, num- uh, the names of the songs on this album, because you're going to know the songs, uh, 1984, titled self-titling track, but Jump, Panama, Hot for Teacher, those three songs alone are just off the charts. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Hot for Teacher. That was a song that, you know, for someone who hasn't heard the song, it's got a really heavy <clears throat> sort of drum intro. Um, and my brother had put the, the, the tape into my grandfather's car 
my grandfather was a mechanic, so he was always attuned to the sound of his car to make sure you know everything was running smoothly. So picture my grandfather hearing this really quick drum intro that when you hear, and if you're thinking about the sound of your car, it very much emulates the sound of a car that is not running smoothly. <laughs> and so for a brief moment, my grandfather was thought, you know, he thought there was something wrong with the car when in fact it was just the beginning of Hot, Hot for Teacher. teacher. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And back when MTV used to play videos, um, who doesn't remember the Hot for Teacher uh, video. I mean, it was just like, you know, when you're 10 or 12 years old, uh, you know, seeing that video, you're like, oh, I want to do that. You know, <laughs> rock out in my classroom. You yeah. know, have you seen Junior's grades? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even the Waldo character. I mean, you know, it, it just was, it was very entertaining, you know, as a kid to have, you know, those elements in a video and, and with videos being new to us, you know, that just, it was so fun, you know, to see uh, the songs that you love now have a, a video attached to it, which, you know, today it, everything has a video attached to it. But back then it was it was really cool. They, uh, they were definitely more purposeful, I think, with, yeah. the, with the videos. Uh, it just they were more entertaining, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was it was like a like a mini movie. Yeah. You know, you remember like the Twisted Sister videos like, you know, they were just like, yeah, you know, yeah. we're not going to take it and all that. Again, more of a movie esque kind of. Yeah. theme to it yeah and very very much catered to kids you know and that angst of being a you know a teenager and, and uh you know how can you portray, portray that in a video and i think they did a really cool job you know yeah and i i think one uh one aspect of this is definitely back in 1984 rock music was definitely perceived as bad right it had that element of you know, oh, you know, tied to heavy metal, tied to different aspects of, of that scene. And so it definitely was rebellious to listen to Van Halen in 1984. Sure. Yeah. Which, which is very cool that your mom let you rock out. Yeah. Yeah. She was very... Um, in the Toyota cell. <laughs> that's right. Well, and I, a lot of those memories I, I attach with um, going to our music lessons. We would draw, you know, we'd get in the car. My brother and I had music lessons at the same time. He played drums. I played guitar. And, you know, we'd go down to this, you know, small studio where we, you know, we both have a lesson at the same time. And we'd listen to 1984 on the way there and 1984 on the way back. And in the hopes that, you know, if we played enough, eventually we'd maybe be able to, um, you know, play one of the Van Halen songs. But, you know, our, our teachers, like my guitar teacher was teaching me to play like, you know, polkas and waltzes and <laughs> classical music and i was just like can i please learn to play something and you know meanwhile eddie van halen is so gifted like the the thought that i'd even you know would have been able to to get to that point was probably out of the out of the realm, realm of possibility from, you know six months into learning how to play the guitar but you're still on mary had a little lamb weren't you? <laughs> exactly yeah yeah um, but even Eddie's, the way that he played and his style that he brought, um, you know, he, he had that classic jump that he would do, you know, where he'd kind of in concert, you know, yeah, yeah, kick his legs out. And, you know, we would emulate that all the time where we'd, you know, we'd jump <laughs> off of, you know, the neighbor's walls and, you know, things like that. And, uh, even to the point where I, I ran track as a, uh, you know, in high school. And when I would try to jump over the hurdles, instead of jumping the way that you're supposed to with one leg in front, one in back, I'm jumping with my legs going out to the side, like Eddie Van Halen. And, you know, I could just see the coaches looking at me and shaking their head. Like this kid has no chance to be a hurdler. <laughs> Listen up listeners. If anybody has a picture of our buddy, Tim <laughs> jumping over a hurdle in that fashion, I will pay top dollar mm. for, for that. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that that's not gonna happen. <laughs> like one day I got to try hurdles. Like you're you're out, you're gone. You're, you just run straight. And that's all you can do. <laughs> well, you know that was also uh, I don't know if you mentioned this. Uh, uh, David Lee Roth's last album with the band until that weird reunion kind of stuff going on much later, right? Yeah, I think that was in 2012 when they got back together again with David. And, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was kind of the end of that, you know, that era of the band. But, I mean, I don't know how you feel about Sammy and, you know, the, the, the lead singers they had after that. But, you know, I, what I think is interesting is that David, his voice is it's pretty much gone. He just can't sing anymore, where yeah. Sammy... You know, he still performs. He still sounds he still very <laughs> similar to how he did, you know, back when he was a solo artist, you know, singing I Can't Drive 55 and, you know, all that music that then yeah. became part of Van Halen after that. So, Yeah, I think, uh, you know, even when David Lee Roth tried to be a DJ about 10 years ago, even then, you, you know, listening to him on the radio was hard to handle. You're like, oh, it just... It's shot. He shot. His yeah. his vocal cords are shot. Yeah, it's it's, it's a shame. And I mean, there's been plenty of other artists like that. That you know, they maybe it was the style that they sang. Mm-hmm. It was so much like screaming yeah. elements of that. Yeah. They just you know they wrecked <laughs> wrecked their voice. But you know, um, for what it's worth, he he still I thought he was great on 1984. Oh, absolutely. He was a front man. I, yeah. I don't know if he was the first that was so flamboyant. And showy and put on a you know uh, a rock show. If you went to see Van Halen, you were lucky enough to see that um, at that uh, era. But uh, he yeah. definitely was a performer. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know I think we've talked that you know I, I got to see them in concert you know post David Lee Roth you know, yes. with, with yeah. uh, Sammy and you know just to just to see those guys perform. I mean you know even Michael Anthony who didn't get a lot of credit I don't think but his not. voice I mean he sang a lot of the backup vocals mm-hmm. to enhance you know what uh David was doing and 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 Sammy as well I think um he's a great singer um yeah. and you know a great bass player uh I think he played a six string bass for a while that yeah. really added another element to the you know Eddie's doing these crazy solos and then you know <laughs> Michael's you know keeping the the you know the rhythm of the song going yeah. uh, and very gifted as well I'll, you know, anytime I think of David Lee Roth versus Sam, uh, Sammy Hagar, I think of the movie Airheads. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yeah, and sure. There's a joke in there about uh, they won't let the person in the building uh, until they say, well, who's better, Van Halen? Uh, who's the best singer? <laughs> yeah. And uh, the guy says, Sammy Hagar. And they say, wrong answer or whatever. <laughs> and and it's funny, as a kid, I didn't realize that. And then I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh, David Lee Roth was the better uh, front man. Uh, as far as entertaining, not that not to knock Sammy Hagar, he was a great singer, and they put out great songs uh, as Van Halen later on. But something about that early David Lee Roth made it fun. Yeah, yeah, and you know I think that the age you know that that we listened to that early music definitely left an impression as well. You know, um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun to go back and listen to it. You know, over the last few weeks, it's been on pretty heavy repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Is it is that one of the albums that you would say you'd know every single note to? Uh, I would I would definitely put it in that category. That yeah. I don't need to hear too many to be able to know which which track it is, and you know, and I mean, I sing along to every song. And, you know, <laughs> windows have to be up so nobody can hear me, but uh, it's a lot of fun to, to to go back there and you know and, and sing okay. those songs and enjoy it again. You know, 
I got I got William. <clears throat> excuse me. William knows some great music uh, in the '80s. He's just Mr. Music, and he doesn't really like the harder stuff. He'd rather listen to Duran Duran okay. versus um, Van Halen. Uh, how about Jack? I think the advent of Spotify has really um, given the kids an opportunity to, to explore music in a way that we never had. You know, I, you would listen to what was on the radio and whatever albums you could, you know, you could get. But outside of that, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't seeking out music from different genres. I was just listening to what I liked. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes the kids will will play a song, and I'll, I'll pause and and just you know, ask them how, you know, how did you kind of listen to this? And, you know, they're just, they have this catalog of, uh, you know, everything, you know, everything and, at their and so, you know, he, 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 uh, he'll surprise me sometimes where I'll play a song and, and he'll, he'll, he'll pause for a moment and, and I'll be like, do you know this song? And then he'll quickly identify it. And it shocks me sometimes. Yeah. It and, does. And, yeah I mean, he's, he's got a pretty broad <laughs> spectrum of what he'll listen to, but, um, you know, it, it seems to be there's so much that they're taking in right now. I don't even know what I would categorize as like your favorite <laughs> because it seems like every week it, it's something, it's something different. Yeah, and so varied. Yeah. yeah. But William definitely likes uh, a lot of that cool 80s stuff, like Take On Me yeah. and, uh, you know, Africa. Uh, he, he, like, <laughs> yeah. knows it all, and he really likes it, so it's yeah. pretty cool. And, uh, you know, there's been so many remakes. I know uh, Weezer did a remake of Amazing, Toto's. amazing remake. Yeah, right? yeah. And I, I saw them in concert, uh, like, three years nice. ago, um, which I think was right around the time when they had released, um, you know, that, that version of Africa. Yeah. And it was so good. I mean one of those songs that I almost feel like it's it's better than the original <laughs> even though I have to laugh there, there's a movie or, or some reference where someone talks about Toto and uh, you know the person's like oh yeah Africa and then the person's like they have an extensive catalog why is it that only you know people only <laughs> reference Africa there's so many other good songs and I was kind of thinking to myself I'm like are there, <laughs> there you know it's funny you should say that because there are yeah. Toto actually has an amazing catalog that you're like, I didn't even know Toto, you know, sang, yeah. sang that song. We'll have to do a Toto episode <laughs> one day because they do have more than you yeah. think yeah. of when you, you know, you just think of Africa. Yeah. And I, to be to be fair, I did look them up on, on Spotify oh, and it is funny to see how many, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of plays on these different songs and you yeah. play it and you're like oh yeah i do remember that song and, and just not realizing that it was a toto song yeah yeah <laughs> hey greg this seems like a good spot for us to take a little break stay tuned we'll be right back Tim, so January of 1984 uh, had a number of other events besides Van Halen's uh, epic album, and one of those was a Wendy's commercial that went uh, with the little three little old ladies. I don't know if you recall that. Uh, I think so. I think yeah. I know where you're going with that. Yeah, it was the the famous "Where's the Beef" uh, uh, commercial. Yes. Uh, Definitely. It was definitely pretty big. Everybody would say it to one another. It was just an iconic 80s moment, uh, you know, with the little old lady. Um, uh, what was her name? I can't remember. Uh, I think her name was Clara Peller, I think was her okay. name. Yeah. yeah. And she was the if I, the little old lady on the right-hand side of the commercial that really stole it. She's the one who says the tagline, where's the beef? Right? And <laughs> it was just funny, right? Yeah. It was just an amusing commercial. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, 
being in the fast food world, you know, they were always looking for ways to, you know, leave their mark and, and you know, pull something from the, you know, the Burger King and, and McDonald's. I think Wendy's was just, you know, looking for something to really, you know, draw attention to them and, and sell more burgers. And I think they <laughs> did a pretty good job with the where's the beef because, you know, it's one of, you know, I'm sure there are commercials from that same era with McDonald's and Burger King, but I, you know, where's the beef, I think won that battle. Stole it, yeah. 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 It was it was the first time I recall learning of Wendy's was because of that commercial, whether it existed before and I never realized it. Um, but the commercial certainly made you laugh yeah. and, and remember it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So in addition to, um, you know, where's the beef? Uh, there were some other you know, high points in January of 1984. On the 24th, uh, Macintosh, uh, they launched their first computer. Um, Steve Jobs made the announcement at the Flint Center. Uh, in Cupertino, and uh, that first Mac was unveiled, uh, and it looks, in a way, similar to some of the, the devices that we have today. I mean, that little square box, you mm-hmm. know, if you expand the screen, doesn't look that <laughs> like an iPhone, um, but it was, you know, it was very cool, you know, to have something that was a personal computer that was not this massive, you know, box, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was unique in its styling, which I think Apple has, has been true to, you know, they've always made unique styles and things that are iconic and just the, um, the design alone, um, and then you know the, the the computer itself was it was it was monochromatic, which you know made me think of like when I was a kid we'd play Atari on yep. a black and white mm-hmm. television. <laughs> um, I, I can't imagine how my kids would react if I was like, okay, you can use your iPhone, but it's black and white, or you can play your video games with black and white. They'd look at you, uh, eyes crossed, like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> but it does make me wonder, maybe there's a market there, you know, someone needs to come out with a game that is purely monochrome, and, you know, <laughs> throwback, you know, or, or the, the, the sort of, uh, the green color of the old, uh, the green, Tetris yes. on Game Boy, you know, yeah. we, we need a throwback there. We need, we need some monochrome graphics. <laughs> and, and the very large floppy disks. Oh yeah. What were they? Five and a half. Yeah, the big ones, the the, the truly you know flexible, flexible. Ones. Yeah, five yeah. and a quarter. Five and a quarter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, we had Max in my elementary school, mm-hmm. and we had our own. We each had our own desk. Yeah. And we would play Oregon Trail, <laughs> and I think we had a we had a program some like very simple uh, little you know lines of code, and then mm-hmm. it would animate into something. I. I can't say that I remember what it was that the mm-hmm. end result was, um, but I just remember having a folder with this gigantic floppy disk that we would carry to the, the computer lab, and then we'd we'd do these little programs, and then we'd get to play Oregon Trail at the end. And <laughs> always got dysentery. Yeah, <laughs> Oregon Trail does seem to have a a, a sort of uh, place in uh, '80s culture. It does pop up in in different places yeah. here and there. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I got probably one of my first iPhones. One of the first apps that I got, I paid money for, which is rare, <laughs> but I bought Oregon Trail and I played it on the iPhone and it was, it was really fun to just go back to that, you know, again, just relive something from, from our youth and, you know, obviously the graphics are color and <laughs> you can tell what's happening with the graphics yeah. as opposed to the little pixels than it was when we were kids. And you still died of dysentery. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> we lost the dog, you know. <laughs> oh, that's epic. Yeah. 
I remember an, uh, a friend of mine, uh, their parents were pretty uh, progressive. Uh, they had CD player way before it was normal. They had computers well before it was, you know, in everybody's home. And I remember, like, asking to play this casino game that they had. You could play blackjack or, you know, uh, spin the the roulette wheel and, and different things like that. And, again, very crude, crude graphics. But as a kid, it opened up your imagination quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those early games, I mean, it really relied on your imagination <laughs> so very much because... You know, you can only do so much with eight pixels and <laughs> and one color. <laughs> That's right. Um, this was a few summers ago, but I had hooked up, um, you know, our Atari to, you know, big flat screen TV. And it, it's funny, A, to see them in color because it's like magenta, yellow and blue. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, pixels that are now, you know, five inches by five <laughs> inches. <laughs> you know, it was fun. We, we did buy the um, the Atari system that you uh has got like 30 50 60 games on it you just plug it in through your red white yellow uh rgb cables into your computer and uh they kids actually played it a little bit uh um but it didn't come with the paddle so as far as atari goes most of my favorite games involve the paddle so okay that was sad right. well we'll have to do a, a, another <laughs> podcast where we hook up the old atari with the paddles and have the originals <laughs> and uh, we can see how they go excellent <laughs> So in addition to, um, you know, the, the, the advent of the Mac computer, uh, on the 25th, uh, Ronald Reagan announced at his State of the Union address that um, the United States would begin development on a crewed space station. Um, and that was called Space Station Freedom, which later evolved into what is now the International Space Station. Very cool. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Have you ever gone out with the kids and, and watched it fly by? I have not. No, yeah. I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah, if there's there's a website where it'll track uh, the location, and it's very fast. I was surprised how quickly it comes into view and out of view. Really? Um, and you, it, we have a, a decent telescope. It's not mm -hmm. you know super high powered, but enough that we could find it. Um, but then you got to be you got to be moving. You know, you got to stay on keep it going to, with to it. Yeah. It. But, I think on certain days, even the way the sun hits it, you can maybe catch a reflection off of it um, oh. during the day, uh, maybe with binoculars, I'm not sure, but it is kind of neat to see it. Um, and, and again, it, being that it's moving so quickly relative yeah. to looking at the moon or something like that. So yeah. it's fun. That is cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, another um, pop culture event big time that occurred later in the month of January. On January 27th, Michael Jackson, while filming a Pepsi commercial, um, unfortunately got too close to the pyrotechnics and his heavily gelled hair caught on fire. Um, and I don't, do you remember that? I do. I yeah. Really, I, I feel like there was a fair number of jokes at his, uh, his, his expense as a result of his, you know, hair catching on fire. Sure. Do you remember what he did when it caught on fire? I don't. What did he do? He beat it. <laughs> That's little flashback to my earlier days <laughs> i apologize yeah. we are latchkey dads so dad jokes are gonna happen so. uh, and it was a big deal uh, and i know he he suffered uh, you know, pretty bad burns um and it was kind of like you know the first hit to his image i think yeah i, I would yeah i would go along with that yeah Hey 
Hey Greg, in uh, January of 1984, there were a couple of movies that came out, um, probably not the most famous movies of the era, uh, one of which was a movie called uh, Hot Dog, the movie. Ah, uh, I do know, I do recall that one. Yeah, I think I, I, think I saw that one too. Um, not a lot of note from no, the movie. No. Um, the main actor's name was David Naughton, who happened to be in An American Werewolf in London. Great movie. Um, and he appeared on an episode of Seinfeld in 1981. Uh, so there you go. Fact there. Actually, uh, I actually think I know he was Elaine's boyfriend uh, in that episode. Right with the uh, he had a drinking problem. Yeah, you're right. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good memory. <laughs> yeah. Um, in addition to that, there was another movie, uh, Broadway Danny Rose, which was a Woody Allen film. Um, I didn't see it. I did not see that one. All right. Well, sorry, Woody. (laughs) (laughs) And the other one of note was a Steve Martin movie, uh, with Charles Grodin, uh, the lonely guy. And that kind of surprised me because I know a lot of Steve Martin movies and I've never heard of that one. Yeah. I probably could check with my parents. I feel like they went and saw a lot of Steve Martin movies in the theater. Um, and I don't know, uh, if, if they saw that one, but I'll, I'll look into it and uh, I'll report back. <laughs> please, please do so. <laughs> well, well, the month might've been a, a stinker for movies, but there was a lot of uh, good music going on in uh, January of 1984. As we kind of talked about before Van Halen released their epic album, 1984. Um, but a couple of other albums to mention at this time. Uh, I know you were probably a big Menudo fan. Uh, they released their <laughs> Reaching Out album. Uh, there was also Anthrax, Fistful of Metal, uh, Bon Jovi, his, uh, I'm assuming, we're going to have to do a grade check on this one, but his self-titled album, Bon Jovi, which I don't think it was a great album, but it certainly started uh, what was to become massive, massive sure. hits. Uh, at Pretenders, Learning to Crawl album as well. So uh, some pretty big names releasing albums. Um, as far as the singles go, this is where it starts to get really, really heavy hitters going sure. here. Yeah. Um, Michael Jackson's Thriller. Oh. Can you get better than that? Yeah. Yeah. That video alone. Oh, my gosh. Talk about a theatrical video at a time when, you know, that whole idea of a theatrical, you know, non-movie presentation. That video was unbelievable. Simply amazing. Yeah. And I yeah. think it was a million dollars. Wow. To to make at that time. I do I do remember hearing that that number being thrown out, but again, who didn't watch it? Yeah. Yeah. Over and over again. Because it was the (laughs) coolest thing, right? Yeah. Um Queen was still around. They released Radio Gaga. Uh if you're a Queen fan. Um there was Cindy Lauper, Time After Time. I mean stood the test of time, (laughs) still being played. Um and I put this one in here for our wives. Um, the Smiths, what difference does it make? I'm sure they'll appreciate that. I'm sure they will. <laughs> um, and, and finally for our music section, Tim, we've got, uh, the billboards top 100. Uh, I'm should just call it the billboard top 10 cause we're not going beyond 10. <laughs> uh, just throw some names out there. And this was for January 21st, 1984. Okay. Um, I'm sure you've heard of a band called yes. And the song owner of a lonely heart. Oh, that again, it's one of those songs that I hear it and it just throws me right back to that time when I heard it. And, um, yeah, just great, great song. song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is a pretty interesting one. Uh, Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney with say, 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 
And that was, I don't know if you know this, this is pretty an infamous situation. I'm a pretty big Beatles fan. And while they were recording and making the album and and doing this together, Paul had mentioned to Michael, oh, the biggest thing in music is owning the rights to to songs, um, publications or whatever. And Michael Jackson was like, you're right. I'm going to go buy the Beatles album, uh, catalog. <laughs> and that's exactly what Michael Jackson did was turn around and then bought all of Paul McCartney's songs. Wow. So, yeah. I, I mean, I had heard that that was, you know, that Michael had, you know, bought the rights, but I didn't know that that's how it came to be. From, from Paul saying something about it and that caused that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty wicked. Yeah. Um, another great 80s uh, uh, band and song, Karma Chameleon by culture club i mean that takes me right back to middle school yeah. or elementary school yeah it's it and you know even with um there's a a movie where that is referenced so heavily um it's one of adam sandler's movies the wedding singer yes um and i mean it, it's i remember it obviously from when we were kids but then to see it you know come back into play in that movie it was it was awesome it's great um and you know again a song that it was it got so much airplay you know and so catchy. It's a yeah. good song. Yeah, you yeah. can't help but hear it and sing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Talking in Your Sleep, The Romantics. I mean, that alone would be a pretty good song, uh, but it's only fourth here. Um, and this one, this is a song I always thought that um, the Australian band Men at Work sang, but okay. it, it's not. Uh, break My Stride. No one's going to break them up. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And it's actually sung by Matthew Wilder. But huh. in, my, in my head, I always assumed it was the Men at Work because it sounded <laughs> Australian. I, I don't know. <laughs> Um, the next one was I guess that's why they call it the blues Elton John I, I wasn't lying when I said this was a great yeah. you know, top 10 yeah. um, Twist of Fate Olivia Newton-John here's one Joanna Cool and the Gang <laughs> right everybody knows yeah. Joanna by Cool and the Gang of course um, one of your favorites Running with the Night oh Lionel makes his uh, makes his appearance again in our podcast that's uh, that's a pretty high percentage two, <laughs> two times already we've got to get that interview with Lionel <laughs> I know it's gonna happen <laughs> Uh, and then rounding out our top 10 is Say It Isn't So by Hall & Oates. Oh, Hall & Oates. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Uh, Hall & Oates, when I got my first job, um, they they would play music in the office, but it was like there was one station that we mm. could get there because, you know, we're in, inside a building. Um, I would say 55% of the songs that were played on that radio station were Hall & Oates. <laughs> so it went from like, oh, I really, you know, I enjoy some Hall & Oates too. I can't listen to all that anymore. <laughs> but it's been so many years since then, I can appreciate them again yeah. uh, without getting uh, too upset about it. <laughs> I, I, You know, they're Philly. They're from Philadelphia. And I'm pretty sure they are the, um, I don't know how you would say this, but the, the best-selling um, uh, duo songwriters of all time. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty number impressive. Most number one hits, songs, you know, albums sold and all that stuff. So wow. they, they, people sometimes underestimate just how many hits and how popular hollow notes were yeah uh, pretty talented very cool greg it's time for us to go back and do our report card for 1984 all right uh and looking back david lee roth's first concert with van halen um after the 1984 split was 23 years later on september 27th of 2007 so they did get back together a little bit earlier than we said. Um, their first album back together, though, was in 2012, as we noted. Oh, okay. Good to know. 
Uh, also, anyone interested in looking for the International Space Station, uh, you can check that out by going to the website spotthestation.nasa.gov and it'll give you uh, the times uh, when it's overhead in your location. Nice. Also, I confirmed with my parents, uh, and although they did see a lot of Steve Martin's movies, they did not see The Lonely Guy either. All right. Also, uh, you noted that uh, Bon Jovi's uh, album was his self-titled first album. I just want to confirm that that was, in fact, correct. Um, That was his first album back in January 21st of 1984. Fantastic. And lastly, the cost of the Thriller video, um, we had said it was around a million dollars to shoot the video. Uh, The numbers are a little bit hard to track down, but it looks like it was somewhere between $500,000 and $750,000. CBS Records was only willing to contribute $100,000, which was roughly the cost of most videos back then. Um, MTV and Showtime... Uh, both contributed $250,000 each in exchange for the rights to show um, sort of a documentary called The Making of Thriller. Um, so all that together was roughly 600000 And then it's um, said that Michael also contributed some of his own money uh, to get the video produced, but the amount of that is sort of unknown. So probably not quite a million dollars went into it, but still, um, you know, probably six or seven times the amount that a video would have cost uh, back in 1984. Hey Tim, I don't know about you, but I couldn't wait to listen to all the great music we talked about in today's episode. So, I created a Spotify playlist to share with you and all of our listeners. To listen to the playlist, go to latchkeydads slash 1984. Nice. Thanks for listening. Yeah, hope you enjoyed it and stay tuned. We'll be back again soon. Tim. Did you know that listeners should like, review, and subscribe to the Latchkey Dads podcast? No. <laughs> but now I know. <laughs> no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't.